It's Saturday. We're here. Welcome everyone to the weekly live Qatar advocacy update uh, podcast live stream. Whether you're watching a replay or catching the audio version, thank you for being here. Thank you for tuning in. Uh, right at the top of the hour, maybe we can get a little feedback from chat. Uh, how we sound, how we look, if we're doing good here, no technical difficulties, or as our good friend Nick Green calls them, dangle clacks. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I love that word, dangle That's clacks. That's a good one. That's a good one. Uh, but I guess we can do a little hey, how are you round session here. Alex, hey, how are you? Uh, hanging in there. It's Saturday, so um, it's a nice day. I'm, uh, we're, we're, we're having people over tonight, which is new. Ooh, new and exciting. year of, of pandemic. We're still new in town, so like we don't have a ton of friends. And, you know, we, uh, we were only here for a couple of years before the pandemic hit. So um, it's, it's nice to be able to get out and meet people. Um, yeah, yeah, for sure. It's been, it's been, you know, a relatively lonely year uh, for lots of us. So, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you went and you got your ears lowered. <laughs> I did. Yeah, I got yeah. a fresh cut. Yeah, fresh cut. You look good. You look snazzy, sir. Oh, thank you. All right. Kristen, hey, how are you? Good. Doing good. Um, I have people coming over, too, but it's just my kids. But they're oh. adult kids, and I don't get to see them very often. I shouldn't say just my kids. <laughs> We're not special enough to know other people, I guess, is the point that I was trying to make. We've lived here 10 years, over 10 years. <laughs> um, weather's good, uh, not too hot. We had a big branch fall down, and two branches fall down in front of our uh, house the other day. That was fun. I, I think I tweeted, oh, about, I tweeted about a video of that. That was crazy. They were huge. I've always, like, feared that tree because it was, like, it, it goes over our house too. Mm -hmm. um, the house is okay though, right? Yeah, the house is fine. Thankfully, okay. my husband hadn't uh, parked his truck there. He usually parks his truck right where that branch came down, and we were just waiting for the power to go out because it was hanging on this on this um, power cord that goes from the transformer to our side of the street, and it was just dipped down. And, oh man, uh, it was scary. And they had to we put see that a lot up. here in the winter with the ice. Mm. You'll get real bad ice on them sometimes and you just watch them droop and you're just like, I'm waiting for that one to go. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. we, we lost a big branch last year and it was a huge windstorm and it was, you, you knew why it came down. Well, that day that it came down, it was the other two much bigger branches came down. It was just, it was raining, but there was like no wind. It was still. So we still can't figure out why that that came down. It was it was kind of freaky. And then when it finally just it's time twisted around, you heard this crack, like this really oh, loud yeah. crack sound. And I was like, oh, I think it just moved again. And I was just waiting for the power to go up. But somehow that wire held up, and and we didn't lose power. But yeah, that was yeah. Fun. <laughs> that was my well, adventure. I'm glad, for the week. <laughs> I'm glad you guys didn't lose power. I'm glad the house is okay and the truck is okay, and that also all the humans in the surrounding yes. area are okay as well. Uh, we do a lot of work around in my job landscape. We do a lot of work around trees and, and limb removal. They crack, they break, they fall. And oh, yeah. most of the time we get there and we're always like, you guys got lucky because it always just misses. <laughs> and then there's that oh. one time out of, you know, a hundred or whatever, where it, it, you know, goes through the pool or it goes through a window or through a right. roof, you know, the whole tree. Yeah. Luckily and I don't have get to the tarp out. that though. But yeah, it's excellent. It's Saturday. Um, it's a nice day outside. I did a lot of trimming and I finally mowed my lawn this week. So I'm a happy camper over here. It's a good weekend. And I think 
I think that means that we can get into uh, some more some more pressing topics, maybe. I think this is the part of the show here where we hand the floor over to Alex for our legislative rundown. He's going to let us know what, what's going on this week, updates, uh, new legislation, things to keep our eyes on. You got the floor, Alex. Take it away, brother. What do cool we got? Thanks. Um, so, yeah, here's our uh, very brief legislative rundown. I'll get to sort of why that is. Uh, in a second, but um, as we've been talking about for a couple of uh, episodes, if you will, um, Kansas City, Missouri, is there's still a flavor ban uh, making its way through the city council. Uh, this had a committee hearing this week on the 9th. Uh, I have not updated our alert with any new details, uh, but I did see a tweet from a friend of ours in Missouri uh, who uh, noted that the ordinance is moving forward with uh, exemptions for cannabis, which I believe, is, as Gregory Conley noted uh, in that same Twitter thread, uh, cannabis isn't legal in Missouri yet. Um, but nonetheless, the city council is including exemptions for cannabis products, uh, which I assume deals with flavorings and so on. Um, and so... We expect this to make its way to the full council uh, and still be a ban on flavored products at the moment. Uh, but for those of you living in St. Louis, or I'm sorry, in Kansas City, Missouri, um, uh, we will update this soon and send you an alert with the updated information. And of course, as it stands right now, this form is delivering messages to your member of the city council. Uh, so please take advantage of, of the very easy way to get in touch with them. Uh, and of course, as always, uh, you can research how to contact your individual uh, members of the city council on the website. Um, Kansas City actually does have a pretty useful tool to put in your address and find out who represents you and so on. Um, so uh, we will come back to that Kansas City, Missouri, as, uh, as details emerge. Um, the other thing to point out, of course, is... Uh, there are still some states in session, and the uh, main flavor ban bill is still alive. Uh, we saw we have an article on, on our blog uh, this week talking about encouraging Maine lawmakers to not make the same mistake that um, municipalities have made and, and other states like New York and Massachusetts uh, do not ban flavors. Uh, so if you are a Maine resident, uh, continue sending messages and urging your, your members of the state legislature to oppose LD 1550. Uh, and this, again, just like Kansas City, Missouri, this form is going to your uh, your lawmaker uh, from your district. So, uh, again, take advantage of that. We've made it really easy. Um, the reason why things are so light uh, in the, the first or so what are we the second week in June um, a lot of states are going out of session uh, so it, they're in a lot of places if it hasn't made it to a committee hearing or if it hasn't crossed chambers it's not going anywhere um, so uh, there are of course several maps you can you can check out uh, this is from the NCSL and I'm drawing a blank as to what National Conference of State Legislatures. There we go. There's a couple. There we go. We can't remember all the acronyms, <laughs> all the letters. There's so many. Too I mean, much alphabet soup. Yeah, uh, too much. But uh, you have actually, I believe New York ended 
this week. I remember that seeing New York ends at some point in the middle of the it's, year. Yeah, it's it's relatively around this time. Yeah, so New York is is kind of finished. Um, and of course, we see you know we've got everything in purple here is out of session, uh, at least according to this website. Beginning and end dates tend to be a little bit flexible. So, um, right. and of course, you have special sessions, uh, which I think they may note here uh, in special sessions. So that's Maine is in a special session, and that's why uh, LD fifteen fifty continues to be a threat. Uh, I'm not quite sure how things are moving in Alaska. I know we had a couple of bills there that were concerning, but um, haven't heard any any squealing about that so far. Um, so anyway, if you're living in one of the green states, with the exception of maybe New York, um, things are still happening. Purple states, you're done for the year. We'll see you in January, maybe January, February. Uh, and yellow states, of course, special sessions are always a little bit unpredictable. Um, and so... With that, uh, we can conclude the legislative rundown for the week. I have a question. Sure. Alex, what do you think, uh, back to um, Missouri, to Kansas City, mm -hmm. um, what, what, where is this disconnect? I mean, if, if flavors hook kids and make kids vape, how is it flavors aren't going to make kids use marijuana? I mean, I just, where, how do they get around that? How do they do, what mental gymnastics are they using to be able to, because that's what you're saying, right? That it was a, they were going to exempt marijuana products. Does Missouri have any cannabis bills on the table right now? I, I, I haven't looked into what, what they're as doing far as, of, of, you know, opening up a regulated market. Um, right. I imagine I, I, I don't know if, if Missouri has medical cannabis, um, but that, that I think is is part of the, the, the calculation in that, you know, cannabis has this use case as a medicine that it can treat pain, it can treat other conditions, anxiety and so on. And so the, the and this is, of course, you know, this has been part of the, the strategy of uh, anti, you know, people who want to end the drug war and pro-cannabis advocates uh, was to convince and, and, and you know, present the research showing that cannabis does have uh, medicinal benefits. And so I think if you're a lawmaker looking at, you know, turning the screws on, on recreational products or, or whatever, you know, drugs, um, I think they have to measure that by saying uh, there are people, there are patients who are using this product and for them, the flavors are beneficial. Now, you know, when we start talking about the real disconnect here, uh, while officials are receiving that information about how useful cannabis is as a medicine and how, how flavors can make this more palatable to people, not just in terms of smoking it, but eating it, um, taking tinctures or, or vaping it or whatever, making this medicine palatable to people is very important. We have the same we have the same argument about vaping and nicotine uh, in that, you know, people who smoke should be encouraged to try a, a better flavor, a more flavorful experience, uh, something that they're going to enjoy more than, than combusted tobacco. Um, it's just we as a, a community, as the, you know, the industry, 
we're fighting against all of the the stigma against you know all of the bad things that the tobacco companies have done in terms of uh, you know producing bad science, producing you know PR campaigns meant to misinform people. All of that baggage is coming along with any of the new information about how important flavors are, about how important the products are, and so I, I just think it's 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 that lawmakers actually haven't been given the opportunity to review the science objectively. And of course, also, I mean, coming out, it's, it's like being tough on crime, right? It, it's, a, it's a campaign rallying cry. You can fundraise off of it. Look at all of the good work we're doing against the evil tobacco industry. And right. so I, I think there's a lot of opportunism here, but at the same time, there's a lot of just lack of information that's actually landed on these folks' desks. I'm going to say that there's a there's a campaigning and lobbying uh, and, you know, getting in the ears of politicians. And I think that's exactly what you're talking about when we have um, campaign for tobacco free kids. We have lot we have Bloomberg money going everywhere, pushing, you know, this information into the ears of politicians and lawmakers and in the public. Yeah. While simultaneously they are being given better information about cannabis, the information they're being given about nicotine and vaping and, you know, safer, uh, safer nicotine products is the opposite. They're getting nothing but the bad, nothing but the false, nothing but misinformation. And I, you know, I dropped a note in our, our private chat about something I want to make sure makes it into the blog post next week. And, and we could probably, actually, I, I lost track of the tweet, but um, it's, it's a, a tweet from, uh, Sheila Vakari, Vakari oh, from Drug Policy Alliance. Yeah, from yeah Drug Policy Alliance, and um, it's it's a good thread, and I'll I'll try to dig it up when I'm not the one talking. Uh, but uh, it, it's uh, it's sort of a how how to as far as talking to people about harm reduction, and that mm -hmm. you know the the real task, the real challenge here is for us to tailor messages to different groups of people. Different groups of people need to hear different things and deliver to them in a different way. Um, so that's 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 going to be a challenge for all of us really going forward is, is how do we tailor our messages to to resonate with the people we need them to resonate with. Um, and so it, it that's uh, it, those, those are tactics that we it need might have to, to be a main topic next week. Yeah, it could very well be a main topic next week. So I'll, I'll say. Yeah, all communicating, communicating to, to different groups, different people, especially when we're talking to, again, politicians, lawmakers. Uh, depending on where they sit politically, uh, they're going to have things that are going to resonate with them differently. Uh, whether you're talking to Republicans or you're talking to Democrats, the overall message may be the same, but how we communicate that and our talking points specifically to them are going to differ. Yeah. I, and just really quickly to, I mean, a, a really good, I, I think a, a good summary of, of, of what what Sheila has posted up here was that many years ago. I actually I remember where I was. I was listening to uh, Cory Booker on NPR. I was driving through uh, the Holland Tunnel, and uh, he was talking about the conversations that he had been having with uh, you know fellow senators about uh, marijuana decriminalization and, and the, the marijuana legalization bill that he's been promoting. Uh, and it was very simply, you know, he had. Uh, and one argument for for Democrats and another argument for Republicans, and in particular, you know, conservative Christian folks, um, you know, he had to appeal to their, uh, you know, uh, uh, emphasis or, or the, the the significance that they place on life, and and actually make kind of pro life arguments about 
legalizing cannabis in that, I mean, you know, we can do this math, right? If you're jamming up kids in the criminal justice system for simple possession of drugs, you're putting them at risk. They're shortening their lives. Uh, you know, all of these things are, all of these harsh penalties and harsh laws are putting people's lives at danger. And so that type of messaging resonated with the more conservative Christian wing of the Republican Party. On the Democrat side, I think, um, you know, it was it was more of, uh, you know, uh, the, the building equity in, in an industry and, and repairing people's lives who've been negatively affected by the drug war. The social justice angle resonates more with the Democrat side of things. So um, I, I, that to me has always stuck with me. And I, and I've, I've, I haven't I, I must admit, I haven't sat down and done my own research as to how to tailor that strategy to tobacco harm reduction. But. Um, I, again, I think I you think absolutely can, right? Like, yeah. you know, this is, this it's, is a, it's vital. We have to. Yeah. Yeah. This is a discussion. Um, I had a great discussion with actually, uh, one of our board members, Jim McDonald about this a few years ago and really trying to get that messaging kind of, you know, across the, across the table to both sides and, and how we do that, how we can do that better. Um, exactly like you're talking about, exactly like you're talking about. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Sorry, I didn't mean to make that one question go off into a whole topic of. <laughs> no, I think that was it was that was a great discussion though. Um, but moving forward, uh, since we we do kind of have, we had a little powwow this week. We had a meeting of the minds this week uh, from our whole podcast media team here about restructuring this show and kind of getting into some more uh, segments. I guess including some very real segments here that we're going to attempt to follow to the best of our ability. Um, and so this is this is kind of a new segment. It's untitled uh, as, of, as of right now. And I am gonna throw this out there. We are taking suggestions for the title of this segment. So if anybody has some really cool suggestions for a segment name, I'll explain the segment. Uh, you're welcome to, to share them, tweet them at us, go ahead and share them in chat, wherever you'd like. Uh, we're looking for some really cool ones, but what, what we decided to do is do a little homework ourselves. We each, uh, we each picked a topic, an article, uh, some research, whatever it may be. Uh, we're going we're gonna to have a chat about it, maybe some quick commentary. And uh, that way we can kind of cover some of what is going on through maybe some different perspectives, lens, and whatnot, and share that with you guys. Cool? Cool. That's what we're going to do. I don't remember which one of us is going first. Kristen, do you want to kick, kick this whole segment off or... Alex, you look like you have. No, I think you were. You were actually. Am I going to kick this segment? You guys, you're going to make me rage out right out of the gate, huh? I'm just going to get mad right out of the gate. All right, that's cool. That's fine. Um, so this uh is right out of our blog, and I'm going to go ahead and just drop it right in chat for everyone as well. This is an article from Forbes. Uh, this came out June 6. It is from Gabriel A. Silva, the sixth was, what is today? The 12th, so six days ago, last Friday. So it's still a fairly recent article out of Forbes. Uh, this is accumulating evidence suggests e-cigarettes are likely as harmful to the brain as regular smoking. Uh, this article, there's, there's right out of the gate, there's a number of things that are just kind of wrong uh, in this article as far as some of the history, uh, prevalence, use, and dates and times. Maybe they're typos. Maybe it's just lazy. Maybe somebody didn't do all of their homework. Uh, but yeah, 
uh, right here. What is? Oh, you've got it pulled up on this on the stream. Awesome. Yeah, man. I'm fantastic. You are you are on top of things. I love this. Um, But uh, it says among high school students, the use of tobacco products had been on the decline until 1998, attributed to aggressive anti-smoking campaigns through the 90s. But this changed that year with an increase in tobacco use exclusively to the use of e-cigarettes. Uh, so this is where I think this is a typo because there's actually some credit given to Han Lick uh, and the modern e-cigarette in this article as well. But I, 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 I read this like 10 times and I just wanted to scream because I don't, who, who was vaping in 1998? Anybody here? <laughs> When was 2008? I can't figure out what they... I mean, yeah, 2008, sure. Uh, a handful Maybe. of people, yeah. But 1998, either way. Uh, yeah. Moving on. Um, <laughs> yeah, that one just it really got me right out of the gate. Uh, moving on, though. Uh, there are some positive notes here. Um, they go on to say, to be fair, the potential one positive potential use of these devices might be in helping longtime smokers reduce their use of regular cigarettes. They go on to uh, share some stuff from the CDC, National Academics Reports, uh, the FDA about nicotine, uh, and so on and so forth. So there's some credit given to these products uh, helping adults, people, people who smoke, quit smoking. But then they get into the brain. Um, and they go on to quote a, uh, a mouse model study that suggests e-cigarettes may also have short-term disruptive effects on cognitive and memory functions. One mouse model study. Uh, we do know uh, through actual human studies on uh, the effects of nicotine on the brain, cognitive function. Nicotine actually acts as a, a, a cognitive booster, uh, increases alertness, awareness, concentration, and a number of other things. Uh, and we know that through human studies, uh, not one mouse model study. Um, so there's, there's some real world implications there. Uh, and we are, in fact, not mice. We are people. Um, there's another positive note here, which I do appreciate out of this article. He goes on to say on a positive note, a clinically significant exception to the above effects, uh, is the use of nicotine to potentially treat Parkinson's disease. Yes. Uh, Parkinson's is one of those cognitive decline diseases that nicotine can be very therapeutic for, can be preventative for, at least that's what the science is telling us right now. Uh, so this article is kind of a mixed bag on some actual potential, very real, good information about nicotine uh, and helping adults quit smoking. But there's also a lot of a, a lot of kind of may, might, could be information here around a mouse study and the effects on you know cognitive function, uh, which we have better information about. We have more accurate information about through actual human studies showing the exact opposite of that. Um, and this came from Forbes, which is, is one of those things where uh, Forbes, Steve Forbes himself has gone on the record on video uh, talking about misinformation around vaping and e-cigarettes and their potential to public health. Steve Forbes himself is in favor of adults having the choice to go out and use a flavored vapor product as opposed to continuing to smoking cigarettes. So seeing this this wishy-washy, not great information, misinformation coming out of a Forbes article is a little bit frustrating. There's a lot to digest in this. And 
I don't know. It's 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 frustrating when we have better information and we're going to go on to site stuff like this and we're going to put it out there. That's my summary of it. Uh, do we have any other <laughs> thoughts? I guess that's my. It wasn't my as ragey as you were in Skype this morning. <laughs> you were much more ragey in Skype this morning. Oh yeah, when I was just a little while ago. I was hot about this. I cooled it down. I cooled it down for YouTube. <laughs> Alex, you look like you have thoughts on this. Well, it, you know what sort of immediately jumped into my head is the same. The thing that we say, well, a lot of people say all the time: these products are not for kids they're not absolutely they're not the kids they are it, it is uh illegal for retailers to sell to anyone under the age of 21 which i consider a lot of those people to be young adults um so it, it's it's very weird I, I think you know when i read things I, I try to put myself in the shoes of other readers and for the the other readers in this case, it's people who are just horrified about drug use and tobacco and nicotine and kids and all of that. And it, it's, I, I just, I, I hate to sound naive, but you know, it's illegal to sell to kids. It's illegal to sell to kids. It's illegal to sell to kids. There are no companies out there. I mean, there are some morons. There are absolutely some morons in the industry that have done some really stupid things. There are a lot of people who, uh, you know, they, they found themselves kind of trapped and pigeonholed in, in terms of how they could market these products and maybe didn't choose the best way to do that. I had this conversation with Danielle the other night. Um, it, she's been involved in marketing in the e-cigarette industry. And, you know, I think one of the biggest mistakes that any company has made is, is, is marketing on Instagram. But what, what are you going to do? I mean, you can't talk about these products truthfully. So you have to work to market them as, as any other consumer product. And there are standard ways there are, you know, there are, there are, there are tried and, and tested rules about how to get people engaged with your product. And so if you're left trying to do lifestyle marketing and market these things like anything else, then that's what you've got. But I think a lot of people didn't really understand the history of tobacco advertising. They didn't understand the history of the tobacco wars and everything that's gone on. And so there were some nuances of, of how to appropriately market these products that were kind of missed. But at the end of the day, at the end of the day, nobody who is serious in the industry, the community, whatever, is interested in marketing these products to kids. I mean, from that point of view, it, to me, it's sort of like this conversation about all the ways that kids get attracted to these products is almost a moot point because it's it's not it's never been about attracting kids to vape or or use right. nicotine products at least not in in the now times the, the the period we live in now the post master settlement agreement post tobacco control act people people should not think that they're going to be able to get away with it and i know i think most of the people in the industry didn't come into this situation thinking that they were going to be getting away with this. Uh, and so it, it's all of this emphasis on kids and, and, and how these changes, the, the nicotine changes the brain. I just, it, it, it really has to be, I think, handled delicate. I will give this particular author some credit. As you pointed out, he is trying to present a bit of a balanced view here. Um, but I, and I, I am so horribly unqualified to talk about brain science and stuff like that. Um, but I, I think I when can't we do... imagine, I can't imagine that 
you know, any any study, any mouse model study is going to be any better, A, than a study done on humans. And B, when we're comparing, one of the points of this article is about uh, how nicotine affects stem cells and uh, macrovascular uh, parts of the body, the, the spinal cord, the brain, those blood vessels, things like that. And we know nicotine causes some transient changes in um, our our vascular system briefly. So do a lot of things, uh, sex, exercise, playing an exciting video game, uh, your blood pressure rises. Um, but those things are all changes that are very temporary. They're very transient. Um, and they talk about that a little bit in this article, but they, they also compare it to uh, studies done essentially with stem cells in Petri dishes, uh, which is not the same as a fully developed brain cell you know, in homeostasis in the body actively working. Uh, and so we're, we're making really, really loose connections. You know, it's like when we take one mouse study and we go, oh, look, this thing happened in these mice. And mouse studies are absolutely horrendous um, for a lot of reasons, especially in, you know, the genetics of mice, inbreeding in mice, all these problems that, that mice have uh, that are used in studies like this. But when we when we try to draw conclusions off of one of these small studies done on, you know, these mice, and then you say, this is how it's going to affect the human brain. That's just, it's not, it's not realistic. It's not the way that things work in the real world. And then when we take that and we compare it to stem cells and Petri dishes, you're just really making loose, real loose, far, far connections. And it's, it's just not reliable. It's not a reliable, um, you know, yeah. it's not reliable research. Well, I was just going to say, I, you know, I look at a lot of the studies and the, the problem is, is a lot of the studies that they're using as here's evidence are always preliminary studies. They always at the end say, here's what we kind of think. And they're almost like a way of, of forming a hypothesis. They're not, they're not conclusive for, you know, this means that we should probably study this in humans. And they use that one as saying, well, this is what happens in humans rather than actually looking at the ones in humans. And if you look at the article, he talks about, you know, going across the blood, the brain, blood, the blood brain barrier. I'm not saying that right. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. And, and uh, how it affects the spine and all this other kind of stuff. But none of the positive stuff. I mean, that's the exact reason why they think it helps with things like Parkinson's. You know, I mean, the, the, you can't just... <clears throat> Put that aside and ignore it. But so much of it was maybes and coulds and possiblys. And they also ignore the fact that almost all of those studies are done with smoking. They take the Petri dish and then they translate that to the, the stuff they see in the population. But the problem is the Petri dish is nicotine and what's in the population is smoking. And so you can't just yeah. automatically say, well, vaping is going to do the same thing because there's one, like I put in the in the tweet, there's one huge thing missing between the vaping and the smoking that also can literally cause brain damage that nobody argues about. And that's carbon monoxide. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know? like, one of the things you were just talking about um, in regards to a lot of the stuff that we know being from smoking and not necessarily exclusively nicotine or exclusively uh, through a product like like e-cigarettes, vaping, uh, they do. He does say in this article, uh, there is a strong correlation between long term smoking, cognitive decline in the later decades of life and disruption of the blood brain barrier and microvasculature of the brain. 
So like you said, long-term smoking. Now the cognitive decline in later decades of life, this is kind of like a chicken or the egg situation. We know that disproportionately people with cognitive decline issues, mental health issues, things like this, smoke at disproportionately higher rates. So is it the chicken or the egg? Are, are, you know, people, uh, developing these these cognitive issues because of smoking or is this a pre-existing condition exactly. that they are most likely self-medicating with nicotine for throughout their throughout their life in one way or another and if the only access to nicotine they have are marbreds down at the grocery store or whatever is available on every corner store in America if that's what they have access to that's what they're going to use and so I think when we're when we're saying a you know a strong correlation, correlation is not causation. Uh, if there is a correlation there, it's a chicken or the egg situation, and most likely it's people who have these issues are are developing these issues over their life and are self medicating along the way. And nobody's saying that nicotine is a cure all to cognitive issues or cognitive decline, uh, but there is science showing that nicotine can be preventative or can have beneficial therapeutic effects for people who have these things. So there's just a lot of twisting of words in this article when it comes to, I, I guess, you know, Alex said, like, and I said, there's, there are some really good points in this article to be made and there is good information, but amongst that, there's a lot of poor information. There's a lot of misinformation. And personally, a lot of it feels like laziness. Um, we're citing old data in here from 2017 to 2018. We're not using up-to-date data. We're using percentages of percentages. We're using really loose connections to try to try to make you know a, a, a take a jab and, and take a stab at at some of this. And, and it's just really oh, thank poorly you. done. Make it sound really poorly done. But I, all right, I, that, I, that's I, it for I, my rant. That's it for yeah, my uh, I, article of the week. That's that's I, what I've got here. I, I, I will say really quickly, and I promise not to go down a rabbit hole or anything, but to sort of build off of what both of you had, had said about using these types of studies. My my biggest concern, I think all of our biggest concern is that um, mouse studies are, the, the you know, the mouse torture studies are being used uh, to inform policy. But yeah. as I think Kristen noted, it, that's not how they're supposed to be used. These, 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 this research is a good, maybe proof of concept. It's a good test before you go on to bigger and better things. Yeah. So I, I think, and a lot of people, a lot of, you know, the science and, and research folks that we rub elbows with in this space who are very concerned about how science is communicated um, are, you know, these, uh, these types of studies, I think, distract from, from much better work. Um, and it's, it, I think it's a bit irresponsible to take uh, research from mouse study and go right to, you know, the 11 o'clock news. Um, yeah. That's, that's what we're seeing over and over again. And, and that, along with a lot of the really nasty things that people say about us, really needs to stop so that we can have a constructive conversation. And I, I mean, think, you, you know, a, a lot of people don't really understand that, that process in science and, and what that may indicate for us or where we go next. So when they read an article like this, they're just like, okay, we're going to trust the science. If this is the science, people are going to trust this. They don't understand that, you know, there's a lot of may could might be early step proof of concept kind of stuff happening with my studies. They just go, Oh, this is the science. Yeah. And, and, and that, I guarantee that, we're going to start seeing, we're going to start seeing people 
posting or linking to that saying, see, it causes brain damage. You know, it's the yeah. science proves it because they don't understand it. Yeah. They really don't understand it. I was going to say something and I forgot what it was. But. Well, I don't know which one of us we decided was going next. So uh, you... I think me. you want to okay. put mine up. Um, I believe I had it and then I wasn't sure who was going. And here we go. Spin one. Yeah. Um, I chose this one because, it, you know, it's kind of funny because it sort of ties into the one that Logan was just talking about, too, um, in the fact that it's just how they present the numbers. And it's, and it's essentially what I said in my tweet um, about actually breaking it down, because th the headlines are all saying um, one in five teens is still vaping. It's still a, it's still an epidemic. And I, I still ask the question. Ever, when in history has an epidemic ever resulted in improved health? But uh, <laughs> so this one, and it's not really a study because what it is is it's it's they do this every year. They look at the numbers that come out of the high school surveys, and um, they've asked them questions and and to see where the vape number of vapors are at, and you know that but there you know youth vaping down but one in five teens still uses e-cigarettes. Okay, well, let's break this down even more. And as we're scrolling through the uh, the article, um, you know, it talks about that e-cigarette use has dropped significantly. Um, and he, uh, just the first paragraph, the study underscores that flavored e-cigarettes, especially Juul, have caused the epidemic of youth e-cigarette use and nicotine addiction. Um, and if I keep going, of course, that's Matt Myers, so you can't really listen to anything he says. Standard talking. Um, yep. Yeah. And if you get, okay, so go down to, so to get around to, here's the thing, to get around bans on e-cigarettes sold to kids, there was a dramatic shift to the puff bar. Well, <laughs> that was banned. The puff bar is banned. So this whole, they're getting around. It was sort of like, do you remember in the early days uh, how it was always, uh, they're using these e-cigarettes to to circumvent smoking bans. Well, it's not smoke. You're not circumventing anything if you're not smoking. You know, if you're circumventing, if you're still smoking. But anyhow, to get around bans. So that's the first misinformation in that one. And then down below, and here's one of those things that they did tactics because one in five, that's about 20%. Um, and there's some people who take real issue with that because I think it turned out to be something like 3 million kids or something like that. If one in five high schoolers were uh, vaping, and um, that seemed like an exceedingly high number of teens vape, and that's daily. Um, but anyhow, and the next one, it says, it's alarming that over 7% of high school e-cigarette users wrote Puff Bar in as their usual brand. Well, read that sentence again. It's not 7% of high school students. It's 7% of the high school e-cigarette users. So 7% of the 19 point whatever, 6%. Wrote in puff bar. Yeah, what we talked they about earlier, a percentage of a percentage. Yeah, they're using that percentage to make it sound higher. And uh, and that's why they use all the time the the 30-day at least one puff number. Um, and they switch easily between the percentage of all high schoolers and the percentage of the high schoolers who are actually vaping. And that's where that 4.4% came from in the tweet. But if you read the whole entire report, they don't put, they don't break that one down. 
they break everything else down to, you know, this percent of, of high schooler who, who vape turns, you know, that, that, that's this number of high school, total high school students or that this percentage of, but that one for daily use, that one you have to go in, find it, calculate it yourself to figure out how many, what percentage of all high schoolers, you know, estimated are vaping. And that's 4.4%, which like I said in tweet is if their end goal, if their idea of a tobacco free or nicotine free society is less than 5% reached, there you go. You know, everybody else is just, you know, they're going to try it. But we were talking about this the other day. Teens try stuff. Teens try smoking. But the vast majority of them do not go on to continue to smoke. They try it. They go, eh, you know, maybe they might even do it for a couple months. It's not as addictive as they make it seem to be. But there's something that with other people, like going back to your mental health thing that you were saying earlier, those people tend to go back to it. Um, yeah, so, of course, that was Myers, too. He was using that tricky little uh, 7% to make it sound like it's a higher number. But it says 7% of... And I'd have to look at that because that's at 7% of the daily users. And they do it further down, too, for the study, da -da, use the survey. 27.5% um, in 19, in 20, I almost did it, 19. 2019, uh, it was 27.5. So it's dropped from 27.5 to 19. I mean, that's a huge drop. That's so significant. If if it had gone up by that same amount, oh, my Lord, you would, we would never hear the end of it. You know, and that's, it and that's like you said earlier, that's that's what they consider current use. And when we define right. current use, we're talking about at least once in the last 30 days. One so if we're at 19, what did you say? We're 19 and a half percent or something like that. That's what they define as current use. So 19, less than 20 percent or like you said, one in five, about that much may may might could possibly take one hit off of a an e-cigarette in the month of june this is an epidemic you know yeah and it was like 46 percent of i think it was i want to say 46 it was not quite 50 percent of of the teens who were vaping were in the under five times or less in the last 30 days yeah we're looking so at like, like nearly teen experimentation and then the remainder between that, that those one to five days and the daily is the between six to uh, 20 days or something, or no, six to, six, I don't know. But there's a, you know, a big, they did it a few times, you know, so maybe they, but that doesn't mean there's, that's not a, any kind of indication that they're dependent on it. Um, so, they, so here, look at, I mean, look at that. 27.5% dropped to 20%. And it's actually, it's a little less. I thought it was 19.6 or something like that. Um, and that's not a good, that's not good news to them. I mean, just, just imagine if it went the other way around, which it did a couple of years ago. And it was, oh my God, it's an epidemic. Um, and again, epidemic is rising cases, not <laughs> lowering cases. Um, and then again, down here, the preferred brand of e-cigarettes was Juul which was used by 25% of high school vapors. So, okay, so now you've got 25% of that 20%. So now you're down to, what does that work out to? You know, it, it's, that, that means 75% of high school students who are vaping didn't use a Juul, but Juul caused all this. You know, so it, they're, they, they just took that number again and used the highest number because they can't say, 
what would it be? I'm trying to think, 19 to 5%? 5% of high school students who vaped at least once in the last, wait, no, because if it's 20% vaped in the last 30 days, a quarter of that would be five, no, 10, no, five, 5%, right? Um, yeah, that's great. I'm um, just going to fall back <laughs> on my old rule of like, don't do math live on. Right. <laughs> but you're right, though. This, this article is just a great whole, call. it's just a lot of conflating numbers. It's a lot of percentages of percentages. It's a lot of showing, and they do that to show a bigger number. It's more eye catching. If we were to just come out and say 4.4% of high schoolers are using e cigarettes daily, that's not clickbaity. That's not alarmist. It's not ringing the bells for anybody and it's not getting the agenda done. But when we use these percentages of a percentage or we show, you know, something increased 70% and that sounds like a big number, you go, wow, 70%. People, people often forget a hundred percent is, is when we hit doubling. Right. So we're, we're, we're still less than that. But when you say it's gone up a hundred percent, people lose their minds. It's gone up 75%. People lose their minds. It's just, one of those tactics where not a lot of people are going to sit down while they're taking a break at lunch, reading this article to do math. You know, that's, it's not, people are going to read this article. They're going to take the big numbers away and they're going to use that as talking points. And they're, that's what they're going to base their information on. So, so you're right. There's a lot of, there's a lot of percentage play. There's a lot of conflating numbers. There's just a lot of dishonesty and not being upfront with the numbers in that. Yeah. And the, the, Maybe not so much dishonesty, but like you're you're not really telling the whole truth here. You're not making it easy on anybody. You're you're it's, conflating it's, stuff. You know, lying boy, lying by omission. You know, it's it's definitely the spin. They're putting a spin yeah. on it. We can we can say, hey, we can emphasize that, hey, it's down from twenty-seven to twenty and leave it at that. But no, you have to put in there one in five are still doing it. Well, let's look in that that 19% back in 2010, what was the high school smoking rate? You know, what's the high school smoking rate now? Is that 20, is that 20% or that 19.6% vaping? Is that comparable or less than how many were smoking 10 years ago? And we know smoking rates still going down. So where's the danger? Where, you know, where's the, where's the emergency? Like I said, an epidemic is supposed to be something bad happening. They're vaping, but that's like saying, Oh my goodness, people are going out in public without a mask and there's no pandemic going on. You know what I mean? If there's never been a pandemic and people are panicking that people don't have masks on, well, why would they need a mask? Well, because they should wear a mask in case we get a pandemic. I don't know. You know, bad, bad analogy, but you know what I mean? It's it's there, there's nothing to panic over. They're not causing smoking, they're not moving to smoking. Um, and then of course it goes into the whole flavors were were preferred by far among both high school and middle school students. 85% of high schoolers and 74% of middle schoolers. Let's keep in mind, that's of the 20% who were vaping or of the 10% or whatever it was from middle school. And the thing is, they're sold in flavors. So of course they're gonna prefer them. That's like saying, you know, with nicotine gum or with, I don't know, I'm trying to think. Just anything, other. right? Like, isn't that yeah, just basic soda. human physiology yeah, is that soda. more often than not, the vast majority of us are going to want something that tastes good over something yeah. that doesn't. Yes, right? well, like, by far they're preferred. Their physiology to prefer flavors. That's why we flavor yeah. literally everything that we it's consume. 
I mean, the, 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 another 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 point about this is that it's really a numbers game. I mean, what is it? Ninety five percent of the e liquids on the market are flavors yeah. other than tobacco yeah, or menthol. So right? gonna, I mean, if exactly. if we were talking about tobacco and if tobacco and menthol were the only flavors available, one hundred percent of this probably the same percentage of kids would say. I use tobacco or menthol. It's right. It's, like you said, if 90 95% or whatever of the, of the, of the e-liquids available across the board are flavors. Other than that, if you were to just blindly choose an e-liquid, you know, one out of, you know, nine out of 10 times, you're going to get a flavor one. Even if these, yeah. even if these, you, these high schoolers were blindly grabbing e-cigarettes, they're going to get a flavored one. Yeah. I mean, probable or not, like you said, it's a numbers game too. Like even if they they don't necessarily know what they're, getting into or using or whatever there's just a good chance they're going to find a flavored one just it's like buying a box of crayons or yeah. a box of markers it's like what are the chances you're going to get clearer versus a color you know if you go by the the, the <laughs> like starburst and it's like the all red starburst pack and you're like oh wow i got a red one <laughs> no way you know? <laughs> yeah and and red so yeah starburst, so that's really frustrating that, that they that they that they and then Matt Myers, of course, says the evidence is clear. As long as any flavored e-cigarettes remain on the market, we will not end this youth epidemic. Well, first of all, it's not an epidemic anymore, Matt. And second of all, it was. It never was. And I mean, 27%, maybe you could say it was heading that way, but yeah, stretching it. But maybe that's his way of saying, like, as long as any of these products exist, we, the anti-groups campaign for right? tobacco free kids and, and such as will not yeah. end this youth epidemic, right? That's, yeah. we're, we're prohibitionist minded and until we get every one of these things off the market, we will not stop promoting these And here's the irony, because if you think about smoking, I mean, in 2009, flavored cigarettes were banned and they claim that menthol causes, you know, flavors cause kids to smoke or vape or whatnot. And yet menthol, is still what 38 39% of people who smoke use menthol. So if if it was all right, about you're, yeah, again, you're talking like if we're talking population, we're less than 15% or so of people who smoke or people smoke, right? In right. the US, it's about 15%. So then you're looking at like 38% of 15% and they try to make menthol seem like this big huge thing that is just killing everyone and you're like, well, "Wait a minute. We're talking about about a third of 15% of, you know what I mean? It's that percentage of a percentage and use the biggest one because it's the scariest sounding one. Yeah, and but the thing is, is that with smoking, you had a 50-50 chance of picking up a flavor. Yeah. You're either going to get regular tobacco or menthol. And yet most teens didn't don't smoke menthol because most teens don't go on to become menthol, people who smoke menthol as adults because... Obviously, only 30% do. So, I mean, this whole flavor thing is just ridiculous. And this whole idea, because teens were still smoking before vaping came around. So, if flavors had never existed. They're still going to, they would have picked it up as just as much of a, a rate. Now, you wouldn't probably have that same tried it once in the past 30 days rate because it's not like, here, try it, it's mango. You know, you wouldn't have that thing. But the daily rate, because the kids, because we know that most of the kids who are who are vaping daily were smoking. So mentholer, they at the time they had a choice of menthol or regular. So we know they were smoking menthol or regular. So 
those kids would still be, that wouldn't have changed much, you know, by having just those flavors. And maybe it would have, maybe let more of them would still be smoking and not vaping instead. It's, it's hard to know. So yeah, this, this was just all a part of how I wanted to sort of to show one of those articles of classic articles that talks about this issue and spins it. I mean, seriously spins it to, to follow a narrative and follow an agenda. Um, because if you, you can easily, easily have portrayed all these facts in a more positive way of, Hey, it's going down and only 7% of kids, you, you know, are using these, um, these puff bars and, you know, but no, it's, they do it completely the other way. And now they're talking about later on, we're talking about having to wait two years, the next cycle to see if this is a trend. Um, and there's one other thing in here that was, we're talking about a pathway to cigarettes and other methods. No, there's zero evidence of that. Think of, I think of vaping as a cascade and it cascades down to cigarettes and then it cascades down to long-term behavior. And that's where our eyes should be. Where is any evidence of that? Where? There's zero, you know, it's just, yeah, it's just. Yeah, considering alone. both, uh, both vaping and smoking rates, particularly smoking rates yeah. amongst high schoolers and, and, uh, you know, youth in general, young adults too, is down. So yeah, where's this, where's this gateway, where's this, where's this lead to? Yeah. Old face lie. You know, they have no problem still making that claim, even though they have zero evidence to back that up. Zero. But if they, the one evidence they do have, and again, it's like what you were talking about with chicken and the egg, is that so many teens who vape either smoked or went on to smoking and they'll count those as equal. Because if they once smoked, they're still smoking. So that still counts as associated with vaping. Uh, doesn't matter whether it came first or second. I've seen them do this. But they, they do the same spin, you know, that, that oh, they, they vaped and they went on to smoking. And they don't, they don't consider themselves culpable for that at all. They don't think telling these kids you're going to get brain worms if you use these didn't push them back to smoking or push them to smoking. You know, so they... they put their own spin on every single study and, and do it in whatever fits their agenda. So when you're reading this, you have to be really careful to work your way through them and know what numbers you're reading. And unfortunately the average person doesn't do that. I, I, I want to jump in with my very quick take here. And I, I, I am going to reduce this entire article down to just one paragraph and, 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 <laughs> and claim, I'm going to make the unsubstantiated claim that, um, this, the only purpose for this article was to get this one line in here. Well, maybe two. Uh, and that is a quote from, from Matt Myers. And we've seen this going around and this is going to be, uh, a theme. I think that we can say, you know, we'll, we will reliably see coming up, uh, that the FDA yeah, that must act to clear the market of all flavored e-cigarettes and should reject Juul's application to keep selling its products. Um, I think there was that other group, the Angry Moms from Long Island. Um, they yeah. uh, they have something about uh, sending a letter to FDA demanding that they not approve the menthol or not approve Jules' uh, application for, for menthol pods, <clears throat> which is not how FDA 
product authorization yes, works. No, it's not a. It, it's it's not a. Uh, We're demanding that FDA do not do its due diligence to science and public health, and yeah. just just blatantly, you know, disregard these applications, throw them out, I, and whatnot. I, 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 I do think yeah. it's I do I do think it's adorable though that that, that those <laughs> those folks at that organization think that they are in some sort of position of leadership, um, because in reality it will be people like Matt Myers and anybody from Cancer Heart and Lung who will be lobbying the FDA to make bad decisions about vapor products, uh, and so perhaps I don't know that the the angry mom club uh, is is providing some cover. Uh, maybe a distraction from the real lobbying that's going on. Um, but yeah, I, it, it, as far as I'm concerned, this entire article is just about getting that line about Jewel in there. Yeah. And, and, and if you go back up and read how much, how many teens actually use Jewel, we're talking about 25% of 20%, you know, and they're still trying to blame Jewel and, and, and in the whole flavors thing, it, and it was something like I was trying to explain, I was watching another YouTuber YouTube show last night and I was trying to explain to them how um, they they twist oh god now what was I what were we talking about I was trying to explain I don't remember now I'm lost it all right but that I'm off my soapbox we need to let Alex get on his yeah and oh. and, and and I I mean this is in, in line I think with what we'll be discussing for the main feature so um but I will uh you know quickly shift gears here and I, um, let's see. So, uh, the, <laughs> sorry, go ahead. I was just la I was chuckling at the, the comment. Oh, okay. I didn't see the comment. So here we go. Um, anyway, this was featured also here, on our blog here. Um, this is, uh, some research from Sarah Jackson, Emma Beard and Jamie Brown, um, published in nicotine and tobacco research, uh, Man, people have really got to start working on their language. I appreciate the work here, um, but we are we're we need to hammer this home every chance we get. Um, I'll just go ahead and say, people who smoke, uh, use of e-cigarettes in situations where smoking is not permitted in England, quarterly trends, 2011 to 2020, and associations with socio-demographic and smoking characteristics. Lots of big words and, and misused words, uh, including dual users. Um, but this was looking at the effect of uh, smoking bans and or place bans applied to, to smoking and vaping and what effect that might have on people using vapor products. And I think they went into this with the assumption, which is how science starts uh, with an assumption that you then test. Um, and uh, their assumption was that uh, that this would lead to a a decrease in people vaping or that uh, now I'm getting it all screwed up. <laughs> um, but uh, so between 2011 and 2020, prevalence of e-cigarette use in situations where smoking is not permitted followed a positive cubic trend with a decelerating increase from an estimated 52.5% of people who smoke and vape uh, in Q2 2011 to 72.7% in Q3 2014, followed by small decline to 67.5% in 2018, and subsequent increase, et cetera, et cetera. Odds were higher among those who were from more disadvantaged social grades, reported stronger smoking urges, or had made a past year quit attempt, and lower among those who were aged under 65 years uh, versus, or sorry, 
older than 65 years versus 16 to 24 years uh, from the south versus north of England, uh, reportedly current cutting down on their cigarette consumption or current using NRT. So the concern that they uh, are raising here is that uh, place bans applied to vaping, they are concerned that this will discourage people from using vapor products. Uh, in in uh, one way to look at this, uh, and I, I do have the right study open, I was actually reading something a bit more long form uh, about this. I think this might have been in her tweet, which I've, I'm sorry I closed. Um, but, you know, the reason I, I wanted to focus on this article was, you know, we've talked a lot about um, how dual use has been demonized and used to scare people. We have, you know, research from people like Stan Glantz that shows or that, you know, claims to show that people who are using both vapor products and smoking are actually putting themselves at more risk. Um, but the reality of the situation, and again, consistent with FDA guidance about how to use NRT, is people just need to start using these products. There's, you know, putting a bunch of pressure on ourselves to quit smoking, to make this enormous life change actually serves as a, as a bit of a barrier for a lot of people. And so it's, it's a much more, it is likely, it is possibly a more productive way to bring people into a smoke-free lifestyle, by just encouraging them to try it. Even if they don't quit the other thing, they can at least start getting exposure to these products, start, start searching around for what they like. And the hope and, and in certainly allowing people to do this increases the likelihood that they will find something that they will switch away from cigarettes. And, you know, all that time kind of being on the fence or, you know, using uh, vapor products in places where you can't smoke, circumventing the law, all of that ends up being a good thing because now these people are more likely to completely switch to something else. And the research needs to needs to to bear that out. I understand that. I am I am just making claims. These are just thoughts and feelings coming from me. But we need to be able to study this in an environment where people aren't bombarded by misinformation all the time, discouraged from trying smoke free, try, from trying smoke free alternatives and in effect being sent back to smoking. If we can if we can get people in an environment where they're just allowed to make informed choices about these products, I think I think my theory, my hypothesis, my assumption is that more people will ultimately switch to vapor products. The the note here, I think, that was in um, Sarah Jackson's Twitter thread, which regrettably I did not have queued up, uh, was that they I think they estimated that something like 85,000 people in England had been discouraged from switching to vaping or could be discouraged from switching to vaping if vaping place bans are enacted. Uh, and I, I believe uh, it, it, someone from the, the international audience can correct me if I'm wrong. I believe in Europe, a lot of places have seen indoor or just vaping place bans enacted. Um, and much like you know, there's a parallel here with what we've talked about in, in Minnesota before, uh, Minnesota that had actually what ended up being kind of a small tax uh, discouraged 35,000 people from making the switch. And so I, I think it's really interesting to frame these policy, uh, well, policies that are being enacted or policies that are being recommended in terms of, or, or at least they, they have to consider the number of people who are going to be discouraged from making a better choice. Um, so in any case, uh, 
this is a good, good bit of research to put out there. And uh, I think that, you know, there's a lot of parallels with some of the other stuff that we've talked about in terms of discouraging versus encouraging people to switch. But just as a note, you, if you look at our blog post for those listening or watching now, if you click on the link and click the blog post, I did embed Sarah's tweet thread, Twitter thread right there in the blog post. So, so I could have been talking about it this whole time. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> I was trying to tell you, but it's right. We're getting there. We're getting there. Here it comes. There, there it there is. Go. Yeah, that, that's what that, her her commentary on that is actually what got me to look at that study closer, um, more closely, because she, she was talking because what she said. You know, I would have never kind of been able to interpret it that way and read it that way. I don't think if she hadn't said that. I think that's. I thought that was great. I'm not sure. I've got a couple comments here. Shaylock says, sounds like the cigarette manufacturer will have to prove their product does no harm or else smokes will be pulled off the market. No. No. I'm not sure where that's coming from. Yeah, they're grandfathered in. Um, My my thoughts uh, on all of that, Alex, in regards to, you know, place bans kind of equating lumping vaping into place bans things like that is, is really public perception you know you were talking about dissuading people discouraging people when when people see okay you know we can't smoke here okay for most people i think that's pretty understandable at this point we live in a world where place bans are all over the place in regards to smoking smoking kills 8 million people a year globally. There's a lot of issues. We get that. Most people go, okay, smoking isn't great. We can't smoke here. But then when you say you can't smoke or vape here, now we're equating the two. Mm-hmm. Now we're saying both of these things are equally as harmful, equally as bad. And just having those place bans, even for people who uh, don't smoke or don't vape or whatever, public perception wise, we're, we're making this, you know, we're equating these two things. And like you said, that even something like that for most people who may not even think much of it may go, Oh yeah, they're the same thing. They're just as bad. That's why they, that's why you can't smoke or vape in these places. You know? Yeah. I think actually, I I don't want to cut anybody short, but I think that brings us to kind of our, our big topic here at the end. If we wanted to move right into that. Absolutely. Our new, our new segment, our new main main segment, which is we're hoping that once a week, we're going to really do a deep dive into either something that came up in the blog or whatever topic that one of us gets in our head. So uh, hopefully every week we're going to have one main topic and we will put that in the social media uh, posts. You guys will know what, what the upcoming topic is for the week. And I also want to pose this to chat and anybody uh, watching replays, listening to the podcast. Uh, if you have things in mind that you would really like to see us do, kind of a, a focal point, a main topic of discussion on something that you're very interested in, uh, please let us know. Because uh, moving forward, this is this is hopefully going to be kind of the way uh, this show goes as far as segments. This is this is kind of the uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? Format. Format. Thank you. The format moving forward. Uh, and we're always welcome to, um, you know, ideas and comments and things like that along the way. So, yeah, if people have things that they really want to learn about or, or have us do a deep dive in, people want us to do a deep dive on, uh, you know, uh, the lung injuries in 2019, we can absolutely do something like that. So please uh, let us know. 
But either way, main topic time. Alex, we'll let you Wait, you gotta, you've got to read this, this first, though. Oh, okay. Remotely uh, vapes. Making journalists apologize reminds me of an Edward Abbey quote. Quote, we should restore the practice of dueling. It might improve manners around here. I, I challenge thee to a duel. <laughs> we should. We should bring back if we dueling. could challenge journalists who are lying or spinning to a duel, I wonder if it would improve their behavior. <laughs> that was funny, Mugly. That, that was funny. All right, main topic time. Let's get into the nitty gritty here. What do we got this week? We have a blog post from Dr. Brad Radu, who we have uh, mentioned frequently on 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 this show in our materials. Um, and uh, Dr. Radu uh, has a long history uh, in in the tobacco debate, in tobacco research, in tobacco policy. Uh, he has been around for a while. Uh, I, I think his experience goes back to the 80s. Um, and uh, I, may, I apologize if I'm misrepresenting that. Um, oh, but in the 90s was when he made the transition, as he explains here. Um, he jumped from a conventional academic career into tobacco harm reduction research and policy analysis. Um, and I, 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 I've never read this before, but um, he uh, refers to uh, basically the, the, the tiptoe. And I don't know the song, but apparently Danielle had it stuck in her head all day. Tiptoe through uh, the tulips. Tiptoe through the tulips with I think me. Tiptoe through the tulips. You don't know that song? <laughs> Come on. But you got to change the words now because it's tiptoe yeah. through tobacco with me. Um, lyrics, lyrics by the Campaign for Tobacco Free Kids. Uh, <laughs> but tiptoe stands for. Uh, I apologize for keep making you guys listen to me sing. <laughs> tactic, the incremental tactic, prohibition. It's, it's elimination. It is yeah. it tacit, tacit oh, incremental tacit. prohibition, tobacco elimination. Um, and. I, I figure I, I would just kick this immediately over to um, Kristen because we have this conversation a lot. And um, uh, yeah, Kristen, tell Wait. us about about the slow creeping policy movement that we see from tobacco control. <laughs> oh, okay, yeah. Um, this was, this is was one that I <laughs> I think this was sort of a life change for me. And I have to say, Chris Snowden. Um, both in Velvet Glove, Iron Fist, and The Art of um, Prohibition, two books that he wrote that are very good books, um, kind of opened my eyes to it. And you don't realize this, this um, going back to the early days, probably the 80s, late 80s, when it started all with the smoking situation. And people who were anti-smoking essentially just said, can we have sections that are for non-smokers? And that's all we want. We just want sections for non-smokers, smokers over here, non-smokers over here. We just don't want to have the smoke when we're trying to enjoy our meal. And some, I guess I'd have to say it a little bit militant because at the time we didn't know what they were facing. So at the time they said, well, no, you know, this is crazy because, you know, next thing you know, they're going to be banning it in restaurants and then you're not going to be able to do it in your house. And the, the people at the time said, oh, that's just silly. You know, there's, I'll use the word for you, Alex. There's no slippery slope. Um, 
it's a, it, we're not going to be banning stuff in homes. We're not going to be banning stuff outside. That's just silly. We just want separate sections for ourselves. You know, we just don't want a, a place where we don't have to be exposed to smoke. Well, we all know who that turned out, right? Because, <laughs> I mean, today they are literally banning it in homes, banning it outside um, with absolutely no scientific basis to do that. I mean, possibly in homes, but, um, and when I say homes, I mean where people live, they're not banning it in people's private homes that they own, but a lot of residences for multi-unit places are getting banned. Nursing homes, condominiums, um, which is, is, and especially condominiums, you think about people own their condominium and they can't do what they want in it. There's something wrong there. That's, that's a, Oh, that's a freedom, liberty sort of libertarian type thing if you want to go there. Um, but yeah, it, it, it's and so they've slowly done that. And one thing builds upon the next. And so the, the people who smoke said, OK, well, well, we'll concede that we'll give that concession and we will have separate smoking areas. And then they said, well, you know what? Having having smoking areas is just like it's just like saying having a section of a pool that you can pee in. You know, it's just ridiculous. And that they literally they literally use that. Um, I'm sorry to use literally twice now, uh, but they actually did say that, you know, that's having separate smoking areas, you know, because it all mixes together and everything. And they and, and somebody came out with a, st- a st- study who said. Even having a, like a typhoon or a tornado or some of that in or inside a restaurant would not sufficiently clear out the smoke from a restaurant or a bar in order to bring it down to safe levels. Well, <laughs> where's the weasel word there? Okay, chat, what was the weasel word in what I just said? It doesn't bring safe. it down to safe levels. There you go. There's no such thing as safe. The, a restaurant itself has so many carcinogens and stuff in it just coming off the fryers and off the grills and, you know, but later on, of course, this didn't get reported, but later on, you'll see them say smoke eaters worked just fine. There was not, you know, we come in with OSHA and stuff like that. There was no, people were not getting harmed by either coming in for an hour and eating dinner or having a few drinks. Even the bartenders who are working there regularly, it was ridiculous. But all that stuff said, okay, well, now we get to ban it from restaurants. And then they just built upon that. And then next thing you know, it's like, well, if people in restaurants are protected from smoke, then we should protect people from smoke in all the other places. Now it's banned everywhere else. And it's been one little thing on the other. And now you've got all these bans because, you know what, we have all these bans because smoking is really dangerous. And it's dangerous to bystanders. We don't, you know, if you can choose to smoke if you want, it's the bystanders we're concerned about, even though there's no science to support it. Now what they say, well, you know, in order to protect these children who live with smokers or children who are around smokers or keep children from smoking, we've already established because of indoor bans how dangerous smoking is. Indoor bans have proved that. All these studies for the indoor bans have proved it, which they did not, but they proved it. So now we're going to use these indoor bans that we've achieved and tax and add taxes and higher taxes and higher taxes. And then we're going to um, ban having Joe Camel because people started smoking because there was a cartoon camel advertising. No one did ever. So now it was all the advertising and it was the sponsoring. There there was something in one of the articles that we're reading. They were talking about how um, Philip Morris was sponsoring a Ferrari 
race or for something with Ferrari. Yeah. And, uh, and, and then they turned around and they changed it to Willow something, Willow, whatever. Um, nothing about, nothing about buy our cigarettes or anything, but they had to ban them from that too, because you cannot even be associated with it, you know? So yeah, it, it's, it's this incremental thing where they just tiptoe. They go, okay, we're just going to tip this, we're gonna tiptoe over here. And they're just going to tiptoe. Over. Oh, this is not going to. This is this is not going to affect you, people over here. Don't worry about it. And then you know, all the people who don't smoke right now should really be paying attention to this because if you like your pizza, if you like your beer, if you like your whiskey, if you like your ice cream, if you like all these things that they're coming after, if you like your meat. <laughs> you know, if they're coming back, you know, they're tiptoeing in there. You know, trying to compare it to the tobacco industry. Look at how many things are coming out saying big sugars acting like big tobacco. So even if you don't smoke or vape or anything, that's what he's talking about. And it, and, and it's so funny because you see the anti-nicotine, anti-vaping people saying, oh, they're taking a book out of big tobacco. The, the, the vaping industry is taking a book out of big tobacco. Well, they are taking a book out of <laughs> You know, they're the ones who are doing this. I don't even know how to describe it. But anyway, yeah. so that's, yeah. that was my take on it. Well, as, I, as we discussed, this this next thing is was totally pre-rehearsed. But I, I did want to sort of uh, challenge the use of the term slippery slope. And we've used that a lot. And other people use that a lot. Um, what what Dr. Radu is explaining here and what Kristen just d described is is not a slippery slope. It's not it's not like, oh, wait, we banned we ban smoking in restaurants. Oops. Now we have all these other opportunities. Uh, it, it wasn't like that at all. This has been a coordinated effort from the very beginning. And for a lot of us, I, I think, you know, exposure to how policies are getting passed, um, the, the, the levels of government at which we see this happening, starting at the local level, working its way up to the state and then working it up, up to a, a federal law or regulation. That is, that is very much intentional. And uh, it, it, it basically allowed for the tobacco control community to kind of leverage their their resources from the, the human perspective, right? They didn't have a lot of money in the beginning. And so it was very easy and cost effective for them to lobby at the local level where it doesn't cost a whole lot of money. Uh, city council members are actually more easily persuaded than a state legislature that has to open up debate to the entire state. Um, and things tend to move a little bit faster at the local level. And so that's that was a very much intentional strategy from them. And I think I'll, I'll, this has been um, sort of featured in a lot of arguments against state level preemption for uh, tobacco regulations that talking about this being basically a, you know, a big tobacco plot and all of this stuff. And th that's a conversation for a different episode, I'm sure. Um, but uh, all of that to say, it is that slow incremental in they're slowly turning up the temperature so that us, the frogs don't jump out of the water. Um, and it, it starts with something simple like place bans and then the taxes come in and then the licensing regulations come in. And now we have proximity uh, regulations where you can, you have to be more than a thousand feet away from a school or public library or church or something like that. Uh, and then of course, now we're getting into the product standards, which is, uh, you know, banning flavors and so on, uh, and and getting all the way into. I mean, we're we're going to see a resurgence in um, calls for. Well, maybe maybe we'll see a resurgence for um, keeping things behind, uh, you know, closed 
displays so that people can't actually see the products that they're buying. Um, shopping in Quebec for cigarettes was was kind of an eye opener for me, um, where cigarettes can't be displayed. Um, so there's a lot of our international listeners uh, understand what that's like. Uh, in America, we've come up against free speech laws so that, that we are our, our free. Our First Amendment is a lot stronger than I think in some other parts of the world, um, which, uh, you know, depending on how you look at it, either makes it right for abuse or is actually defending freedom. Um, so, yeah, it's uh, it, it is. I think that the tacit incremental prohibition tobacco elimination sums it up very perfectly. There is no accident about the escalating the escalation of, of policy proposals and lobbying. Um, it is, you know, the end goal here is to uh, first stick it to the tobacco companies and take them down. And second, these people are just imagining a world where tobacco just doesn't exist, which is going to be impossible. Very impossible. Yeah, and uh, earlier Kristen mentioned uh, Christopher Snowden's book, Velvet Glove, Iron Fist. And I don't know if anybody else has had the opportunity to read it. I'm about two-thirds of the way through it right now. It's a fantastic book so far. But there's a lot of emphasis and a lot of talk about you know previous temperance movements and things like that along the way. Uh, Anti-tobacco groups are not new. Matt Myers and Campaign for Tobacco-Free Kids are not the first group to try and uh, effectively ban smoking and tobacco and whatnot. Um, you know, we saw a lot of that prior, but then it always kind of ran out of steam, ran out of wind, because all too often these groups were going for really big things. You know, we want bans, we want no tobacco, we want no smoking, real big things. And it wasn't very appealing to a public where, you know, uh, 60% of men smoked and things like this. It just didn't appeal. Uh, and it wasn't until, and then they, they lost a lot of steam with wars and things like that, where we saw a lot of increase in smoking. So after that, those tactics did change. And that was the ticket. If we start really, really small and over time, if we play the long game, instead of trying to go right out of the gate with big bands and big changes and big policies, if we can make these real little, we just want smoking sections. Okay. We don't want smoking on airplanes. Okay. We just don't want smoking in restaurants. Okay, there's these tiny little, you know, like you said, these incremental, very purposeful, very intentioned, small little increments to that end game, that long game that they're playing. Yeah. And that's why, you know, I'll post the link to his the, blog in there. Sorry. To 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 bring this back around again to something that that Kristen and and Kasa has been saying for years. This is why we fight these things. I, I know that a lot of people who vape are, uh, I think it, it, it's after I know I, I can empathize with this, that, you know, after decades of smoking and watching the smoking bans and the, you know, the increase in pushing me further and further to the curb, when it came time to vape, I realize, I know that people are going to be kind of jarred by the 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 the, the appearance of a plume of, of whatever coming out of my face and, and people immediately associate that with smoking um, I understand that vapor a, a flavored vapor floating around a restaurant might disturb someone next to me who really just wants to taste their food um, you know I understand all those things and so I am considerate by default generally speaking I like to think I'm a considerate person but when it comes to smoking and vaping, it's been so ingrained in me that that's the way I'm supposed to behave that it's 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 really easy to kind of allow that to translate to accepting a policy that I know is harmful and, yeah. and saying that, well, I'm sort of compromising here and, and that's productive. And, 
oh, you know, maybe, okay, I'll disallowing vaping in, in a restaurant or a store is, is okay, but it's not. It, it ultimately, it, it really just, it, it serves to fuel the narrative that vaping and smoking are just as dangerous. And, you know, there is no immediate public health threat from people vaping indoors. It, it, the, the, the research is out there. Like you said, people, bystanders are not being exposed to harmful levels of anything sitting in a restaurant with somebody vaping. Um, as was noted in the study that I was talking about, um, you know, people who vape can do it discreetly. We don't have to blow huge. We don't even know that we're doing it. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I've been on flights where I know I've smelled like a little blueberry wafting up and I'm like, okay, there's a vapor behind me or maybe it's Julie cause she really likes blueberry. Um, <laughs> but, um, you know, it, it, it is possible for people to respect the people around them, but still use these products in a way that's satisfying and, can keep them indoors, socializing with their friends and not disturbing the people around them. We don't need these heavy handed bans. And if anything that we've been saying for years is that individual business owners should have the right to make a decision about this. They can establish their own indoor vaping laws or indoor vaping rules. They can establish and enforce them. Uh, mm -hmm. The best thing that a government can do is simply back those businesses up and say, yes. if you need to, if you need to, to throw somebody out of your establishment because they're breaking your rules, then the city has an ordinance that makes it official. We will be there to support you. But in terms of government stepping in and saying all of these places have to ban vaping, it's it's unnecessary. And we're ultimately going to find out that it it is harmful. It is being it is it, it has caused harm. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I myself one of the reasons that I, I bought that first little e-cigarette at the state fair was because Wisconsin was just about to implement its smoke-free mm. indoor law. And the guy said to me straight up, you can use these. these. These don't make smoke, so they're not included. Well, I still always would ask when I went into, say, a bar. Back then, I was still, my husband and I were still going out occasionally. Um, and, you know, we would always ask, is it okay to use these in here? And never once, I mean, never once, I don't think Wisconsin still doesn't even have a statewide one, but a lot of places have, a lot of cities have, but my town has it. And, you know, um, never once has anybody come up and like, oh, they're smoking, they're smoking. Nobody mistook it for smoking. Nobody lit up a cigarette because we were sitting in the bar with our vape. People would come over and say, hey, what's going, what is that? How You can use that indoors? Wow, I'm going to get myself one of those. That's the only thing that happened. But we, like I said, we always asked first. So that's a, it's a fundamental thing. I see you're private chatting. Are we running low on time? Um, no, I actually, uh, I was just sharing in the chat. I didn't know if we wanted to bring it into the discussion or share it with other people. Uh, but there was a study done uh, in, in a closed setting, poor ventilation, things like this, oh, yeah. uh, an indoor air quality assessment of aerosol, e-cigarette aerosols uh, that showed uh, no harm to bystanders. So when we're talking about indoor place bans and banning vaping indoors, uh, all too often, this is, you know, this is a, like Alex has said, you know, this is a, a an intention. This is by design. This is not by science. This is not backed by science or, or whatever. This is, this is morals. This is conflation. This is part of an agenda, not uh, the actual science behind whether or not there is any harm to anyone uh, in regards to vaping indoors. And I agree with Alex just out of 
I guess, courtesy to my fellow patrons in a restaurant or something like that. I don't vape indoors uh, or in public if I'm shopping, if I'm doing whatever. I also use alternatives uh, that help satisfy my nicotine cravings in those situations like snooze and pouches and things. Um, but just by default, uh, I didn't do that when I smoked, just out of courtesy for other people. Uh, and I, I don't do it vaping. But regardless of courtesy or manners or whatever, when we're talking about the science behind indoor vaping and whether or not there is harm to bystanders, the answer is no. The answer is that there is no there is no secondhand vapor harm to people around you. They are not taking on great risk being next to you inside when the air is still and there is no ventilation. But that's true about smoking too. I'm sorry. Oh, I mean, absolutely. absolutely. Totally we're, we're talking about secondhand smoke. Of, we can go into how it takes decades of living with someone and, and yeah, and that's know, the thing the is actual that's harms that have been way over exaggerated yeah. in regards to secondhand smoke. But specifically when we're talking about vaping, uh, yeah, there's no. There's no, there's no immediately there's but no immediately. The I, 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 I do want to jump in and, and it's a really almost worthless contribution on my part, but I did want to say it anyway. I brought it up a couple of times. Many years ago, I was driving back to my office in New Jersey and listening to uh, NPR. And there was a story on uh, from a person who I believe was involved in lobbying to ban smoking in parks in New York City. Uh, and, and this person, you know, after several years after the policy was enacted, um, was being interviewed uh, as part of this story and, and just came out and said, point blank, this had really nothing to do with protecting bystanders. Prohibiting smoking in public places was all about forcing people who smoke to not smoke. And the way they looked at it was that they were protecting smokers. So it, it's again, it didn't work. It, you know, the, 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 evidence, the evidence supporting an indoor smoking ban was trumped up to begin with. There is really nothing to support an outdoor exactly. smoking ban. And that's and why it's important to know that. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that, that was why I wanted to point that out, because if the if the true risk, if the truth is that there's not a great risk from secondhand smoke, just think of how much there's like zero from vaping. You know, you yeah. can't I mean, because. The sec yes, the, the studies, kind of like we're talking about mouse studies, the studies on secondhand smoke came from specifically, or like the other day when we were talking about the um, smoke-free tobacco, they use those ones coming out of, you know, Southeast Asia and India and the kind of, well, the same thing with the secondhand smoke, they trumped it up by using Japanese women who had lived 50 years with a heavy, you know, a husband who was a heavy smoker. So, um, that was a hard way to put in person who smokes. So that, <laughs> sorry. Yeah, I know it's difficult. I just did it myself. <laughs> um, but yeah, so they trump that up. So then if you take the how ridiculous indoor vaping bans are, and the reason I'm, I'm, I'm pushing this, just the other day, someone in the CASA, one of the CASA um, posts on Facebook said, they asked, uh, can they legally keep you from vaping? in Ohio, I think it was our Ohio group. Mm. And somebody answered me and said, well, legally there's no law against it, so they can't force you to not vape, but you should be nice, blah, blah, blah. And I came back and I said, no, that's a private property. <laughs> legally, they can kick you out for trespassing if you do something that's not, you know, that they don't want you to do. It sort of mm. falls along with a no shirt, no shoes, no service, no vaping, no service, you know, vaping, no service, smoking, whatever. Um, and that's, that's the point that I'm trying to make is that this is private property. So even with the indoor smoking bans, making it a law 
is completely unnecessary. It should be the choice, like a few people said, and like you said, it should be the choice of the business because now you're taking away, say that person is a, a smoke shop or you know, want to be a cigar bar and have alcohol or whatever and be able to have people be able to smoke in there and you've now taken that choice away from them. How many non-smoking people are going to go into that business? It's not like there's a dearth of bars, especially here in Wisconsin. <laughs> you know, they, they can go to these places. So it, it, this whole idea that now the whole world needs to cater to the people who don't do a certain behavior, I mean, it's ridiculous. And you're saying the businesses are not allowed to cater to these people. I mean, that's essentially what they're doing. You cannot cater to people who smoke or vape. You're not allowed to do that. You can't let them do it in there. And now you look at like uh, some town in England or someplace in England is now banning all smoking outdoors too. So now we're, we've come to, I mean, all anywhere. I'm talking about anywhere. There was, there was, there was, there was something really amazing that happened in New York City uh, when they folded vaping into the smoking ban there, uh, and and we and anybody who watched the city council hearing got to witness this happen live um, throughout uh, the over the hours that this took place. Um, the the folks from the the public health department basically started the whole presentation with all of the evil things that they were claiming about vaping. And after hearing testimony from people at the end of the hearing, the only point, the only point that they could stick to and feel was convincing enough for the city council, which ultimately, I guess it kind of was, um, was that people who vape are acting as billboards and they're the ones. And now we're the ones encouraging Setting a bad example. It's yeah, we're setting a bad example. I mean, it's it's stranger. Danger. It, it, it's 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 total nonsense. But that was at the end of the day, they had to whittle down all of their arguments to that one thing, that one moderately believable thing that with strangers, adult strangers out on the street, randomly walking around the city are corrupting they, our children. They are uh, uh, dangerously modeling this behavior for your kids who, you know, just anybody, I think, who who I, I not a doctor, not a pediatrician, not a psychologist or anything, but having read enough things and, and leaning on my lived experience, it's mom and dad, it's close family members who are going to have the most impact on what a young person decides is good or bad for them going growing up. Not Joe Random on the street in New York City that's smoking a cigarette or vaping at a bus stop, which you can't do in New York City either. So, yeah, absolutely. Generational smoking. I mean, we talked recently about um, a study done on U.S. 12th graders um, who m most likely would have otherwise smoked had they not uh, started using e-cigarettes. And that is kind of we talked about predeterminants, trying to, to, to figure that out, get that number. One of those things is like, did the do these youth live with parents who smoke? Because that's a huge deciding factor or an influential factor in whether or not someone's going to start smoking. Like if you grow up and the normal that you see every day is the adults that you love that are close to you, your immediate family smoke, that's a normalcy thing. And so there's, there's a, a greater risk for you as, as far as the chances of you, you also smoking. So yeah, absolutely. Like that's when you say the parents, like that's such a big, part of this conversation and that's one of our talking points constantly if you want to save the children let's save the parents 
Yeah. Because that they are the caregivers, the most influential people in a young person's life. Like break the cycle. Yes, that generational <laughs> smoking cycle. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I I know that we've gotten way off topic here, and but I think we can sort of bring yeah, this sorta. back. Yeah, yeah really. a little bit. I I I it was I, all incremental stuff that led to where we are today. <laughs> yeah. So I, I don't know why we're I, fighting this. I don't know that I'm going to do much to steer things back, but I think the numbers that you're looking for, Logan, <laughs> um, is if uh, if you if dad smokes or if uh, the the father figure smokes. Um, or if that's even a thing, I don't know. The, but the, re- the research was done when it was done, and so it just looks at mom and dad. Uh, it, when dad smokes, uh, the, the children in the home have something like an 87 89% chance of going on to smoke as an adult or, or starting initiating while they're teenagers. Um, and if mom smokes, it's like a 91% chance. Uh, if, but if, uh, if mom smokes and dad doesn't smoke, or I forget how it was worded, but if both parents smoke, if mom and dad smoke, that young people in that home will have a 94% chance of going on to become smokers. Uh, and of course, you know, this is looking at uh, moms who traditionally have that very stay at home role. They're more connected with their children. Um, and, and so that, I think, to me, sort of my mom is who I spent most of my childhood with. Uh, and so that sort of intuitively makes sense to me that it would be the family member who I'm spending the closest time with and the most of that time with uh, would have the biggest effect on, on me developmentally. So yeah. anyway, just to throw those numbers. Sure there's like a level of risk that you associate there, right? Like mom is traditionally like the caregiver, the nurturer, you know, that 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 role for a child. And you go oh, well, this, this must be okay. This is safe or this is whatever because mom does this. I'm sure that, that also, you know. I don't know. I mean, all of my kids ended up smoking and after they became adults, really, Mm -hmm. uh, and they've all switched to vaping. I mean, some of them, I just looked at them. I said, you know, you were teenagers when I started doing this advocacy. And so when they start smoking, I just looked at them and went, really? <laughs> really? Are you really going to do this? I mean, I was rebellious as a teenager, too. That could have very well been me. You know, just to but get it was like, a lot easier you know. to get cigarettes. I mean, they yeah. were in they were in the um, the restaurant industry, which is already hugely. Oh, yeah. Smoking is huge in that. Yeah. Hey, can I take and, a drive? Um, Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, Way too uh, much time in the restaurant industry. Yeah, and, you know, and I've gotten almost all of them to switch to vaping. My youngest is only fourteen. Um, she's she has autism. She's probably never going to get into that at all. But, um, but they were all told, you know. I mean, they got my my second youngest, who's twenty now. You know, when she was in her teens, she suffered from a lot of stress and, and anxiety and depression and um, self harm and stuff like that. And so, uh, she started smoking and she got like grounded for life. And, you know, I did every, we were taking her to counseling. We were paying, spending thousands of dollars um, to get her counseling and do everything we could to help her. So this whole idea, when I hear that a lot, when people say, well, these are all just bad parents, it's like, we did everything we could. I mean, we were, I'm, I'm a stay, well, I'm a work from home mom, really. I'm not a stay at home mom, but I'm a work from home mom. And so I was here for them. I was making them dinner. We ate dinner around the table. I was checking their homework. I was checking their grades. My husband was doing the same thing. He's got on the, you know, we were doing everything. We were taking our kids to, you know, we're taking our daughter to counseling and we, we were paying attention and probably more hypervigilant about the smoking thing because hello, you know what we do and still 
they still did it. So this whole thing about blaming the parents, you know, well, they should take better care. They're, we are. A lot of us are. And for, for, for those of you who do that, how did you get away with smoking and your parents never knew about it? I mean, you just do. So, the, yeah. And my parents quit smoking when they were young, um, but I still ended up smoking with my, the brand my dad smoked, which was Marlboro. My mom quit smoking and she ended up, she suffered from depression and, you know, all that stuff. We all have that. And she ended up morbidly obese, you know, so sometimes I think that balances out how many, how, why are we seeing increases in obesity and, and uh, anti-depression drugs and regular drugs and alcoholism and stuff like that as is a, it's only a correlation. I know, but I'm convinced that there's a link there somewhere, but yeah, it's, well, you know, I, I was, I was speaking not as a parent, but as someone who was around a lot of parents and, you know, you guys in particular and, 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 and really wanting to find a, a positive way forward um, with this, you know, how parents and, and, and kids can can work through these issues and, and hopefully have better outcomes and improve health. Um, you know, part of the problem, again, br to bring this back to the tiptoe, um, you, you know, one of the, the sort of foundational principles of, of what Dr. Radu is describing here is this effort that, that is the, the or very organized campaign to conflate all tobacco products with cigarettes. Everything is as harmful as a cigarette. And if that's if that's the strategy, if the, the scare people straight strategy is what tobacco control is going to go with, then don't be surprised when moms and dads and teachers and friends and other family members are not equipped to handle the problems that they're presented with. If mom and dad don't have good information and good instruction and good support in order to have these conversations with their kids, well, they're, they're just left to, to, to figure it out on their own. And, and it's, it, it puts people through, uh, you know, a lot of stress. There's a lot of financial commitment to this. And, and there's no reason to expect that the outcomes are going to be all that great because at the basis of all of that, under, under all of that is lies. It's all lies. So I, I just I don't I don't know how anyone expects to get through all of this stuff with positive outcomes without having honest and open conversations with all the people involved. Yeah. And yeah. Amen. Um, and we were just talking about just because they've scared so many people about vaping. We're ignoring. I just saw this. I don't know if it's on Twitter. They were having the conversation. All the other things that kids are going through. Yeah. You know, the suicide rates, the, the binge drinking, the, the risk taking, the, the uh, I guess, uh, I, I don't know if unprotected sex or just teen sex is up. Um, all this stuff that they're doing and you're freaking parents out over probably the least harmful thing. Yeah. They're so focused on vaping, you know, and not marijuana vaping, nicotine vaping, you know, that they're missing all this other stuff. Or they should be, you know, how do I do this? How do I get my kid unaddicted and stuff? You're you're raising the anxiety of these parents. I mean, I know better because I'm in this, but all these parents who don't know better, you're raising their anxiety, you're you're increasing their um their stress levels, you're you're possibly affecting their relationship with their child, um, because they're so freaked out about it, you know, read for madness, oh my god, you know. And now we're getting to this point, just and that makes me think we're getting to this point where 
okay, well, smoking pot's really not any worse than having a few drinks. Okay, so people aren't going to, so just in a few years, once it's legal everywhere, people aren't going to freak out any more about their kid smoking pot than they do finding them at a party with some beers. It's going to be normalized. But they're working so hard to not normalize vaping that that people are freaking out about that. And, and it can cause stress. You know, it's going to, all the worst things their kids could be doing. And now you've got kids getting punished. My daughter got kicked out of school. She got suspended for three days. You know, it's because they knew she was vaping. It's like, well, yeah, but this is helping her. You know, I mean, she's not cutting herself because she's got three milligram. Yeah. And, and I'm prepared. I'm going to wear that. And, and, and what, what good is it going to do your daughter or anyone else's daughter to, to isolate them from their friends, to isolate them from what could be a, a positive support? I don't know. I don't know how she gets along in school, but, you know, kicking kids out away from their friends, that's, that's doing its own harm that has, you know, lasting consequences. Well, ultimately, I ended up pulling love, her out and putting her not, online It's not school. any kind of love. That, that, that punishment for these things, you know, when we, we, like you said, kicking teens out of school, you know, you're you're not doing them any good at all at all yeah, putting in wise, now, social wise, you know all these things we're not we're not doing them any justice in any way we're not helping them we're just doing them a disservice and we we just want to remove them you know so the other kids don't get any ideas we're just going to remove your bad egg you know that's kind of the message yeah. we're sending and that that's not helpful in any way yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. We're going to send a message that, you know, smoking or, or nicotine or whatever it is that they were doing. Oh, we stopped that. You know, we're going to have a hard line on that. Good thing we saved them from becoming a lifelong nicotine addict. And then they are isolated and they end up committing suicide. Good job. You know, I ended up pulling my daughter from the school system. My other daughter's still in it, but I ended up pulling her from the school system. And that actually was the best thing that could have possibly happened to her, I think. But yeah, yeah. it's, it's crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. But yeah, that's I what think, they do. They oh. slowly get to that stuff. So that's that. That's what we're up against, you guys. That's whole big. It's a whole big picture. And when we say that, you know, we're opposing something, that's why we're doing it. That's why, because we see there's no concessions. You can't make concessions. Every concession, they don't see it as, oh, we're giving a little, they're giving a little by, you know, just having a tax or just having them banned in restaurants or included in the smoking bans. For them, that's a win. That's their first little tiptoe. Then they're going to take another one. It's an every one you get, you're essentially admitting, yeah, they're right. This should be not used no matter what, even in a vape shop. So we'll agree to, to ban using it in public. Oh, yeah, they're right. You know, ban it on the beach. Oh, yeah, they're right. You know, it's okay to pay a little tax, you know, because I'd rather have that than a flavor ban. Well, then three weeks later, they're going to come up with a flavor ban. That's what they're doing. You can see it every day. Every day you can see it. So that's why we oppose this stuff. Not because we want people to vape wherever they feel like vaping. Like that guy, you know, said, you can't legally vape wherever you feel like vaping, even without a law. There was no need for law ever, you know. So, yeah. as Alex said. Sorry. I guess this one gets me really. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think it's, it's good it's for, it's our, for our inaugural attempt at having a, a formatted podcast going forward. <laughs> This is very so good. To, 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 it, it's very good to get this, you know, out now, so that we can maybe we'll, we'll have things a little bit more concise in the future. Um, but this is a very important thing, and and you know, just to add there, 
you know, this has been going on for 40 plus years now. Uh, this the, the slow march toward towards prohibition is decades old. Yeah. And um, so it, it's, it's not just that we're fighting massive and well-funded organizations of ideologues. Um, it's that they are culturally ingrained in our society now. It is when one of the most acceptable things to hate is cigarettes and by proxy people who smoke. Uh, and and people, people do feel a sense of power by being able to look down on folks they deem to be unfortunate or immoral. Uh, and yeah. so that that is a feature of our society now. And we have organizations like Campaign for Tobacco Free Kids, people like Stanton Glantz and Julia Carroll um, to thank for all of this discord in our society. Um, and uh, now I'm going to go down another rabbit hole and I'll stop myself there. Uh, and look, at we'll that. look at that. Look at those are the restraint. I can see it in your face. Right I now. was just going to add really quickly that that media is already jumping on it because for for years now evil is it, evil people in the movies smoke right well now douchebags vape right and you that's know, a subtle I've, I've thing actually, that they're trying to do pretty soon I, you won't be able to see any of it because they keep wanting to get it out of movies and tv but you know i've i've noticed I, everybody hates this one but um I, the second season of true detective i don't know if you guys watched that at all um, but it, it, the, the main character, the, the anti-heroine, uh, she uh, starts the series smoking. And then at some point in the middle, in the middle so the, you know, the, the, the writers have used this as a device uh, in, in the storytelling. In some point in the middle where she's having that crisis of conscience or she's, she's having this morality issue, she switches to vaping for a couple of episodes and then and it ultimately goes back to smoking. There's no real focus on, on, on smoking, vaping in terms of policy or advocacy or anything like that. It's just that they use vaping as a device to sort of show the character's transition from potentially being in, you know, in a very, very bad headspace to getting her head above water to see things a little bit more clearly. So I, that, that's that's really one of the only real examples I've I've seen vaping used as a device in a positive way uh, in TV or movies. So, if you guys watch either one of you watch that Renee not Renee um, Kate Winslet series where I guess she's just oh the, the mayor of Easttown I haven't watched it yet yeah. I want to. Because I haven't either. I want to see it. Apparently, as, as Saturday Night Live noted, they nailed the Southeast Pennsylvania accent. So. <laughs> I, can't, okay. I can't do it. I lived there for more than ten years, and I can't do it. But it is. I couldn't even tell you. I couldn't even tell you what it sounds like. <laughs> well, watch Take the mayor. No, he's not going to. Okay. Anyways, <laughs> all right. Well, we are quickly, quickly he approaching. He's telling us to wrap it up. <laughs> two hour mark here. Uh, as yeah. Alex said, this was kind of our our first attempt at restructuring this show. I'm sure that we'll get into better strides here soon, and maybe not. Uh, drift quite so far and, and and tighten up our conversations a little bit but thank you to everybody who has stuck around for the past two hours thank you first and foremost you guys are absolutely fantastic but this is where we are going to uh to kind of wrap this week up look at that fancy little bumper on the screen you guys subscribe turn on the notification <laughs> bell click that like button for sure alex has things to say though i have one more thing i swear okay. it's the only last thing 
Um, this popped up in my Twitter feed today. I know it's a few days old, but The Guardian is soliciting oh, yeah. testimonials from people who have quit smoking. Uh, they want to know how you quit. There's a form to fill out. This is really easy to do. I know people have already tweeted that, 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 that they've done this already. So if you're looking for something fun to do on this weekend and you've already submitted your testimonial to CASA, um, feel free to... Uh, have a link in the chat, Alex for the uh for this this thing here yeah yeah absolutely drop a link right in there and yeah i, I it it only took me just a, a few quick minutes to do earlier and i've shared it on twitter around so please absolutely any opportunity that you have to share your success with the media around safer nicotine products please do it you know for something like this where you're just submitting a quick thing uh, this doesn't happen very often. The media is usually not asking for, you know, tips for giving up smoking. Uh, this is a great opportunity for us to share stories. Um, so absolutely, please do that. Um, okay, we do we have anything else? That's Alex, it. you got any more surprises in your bag? I'm just holding it all till <laughs> next week. All right, hold, just, <laughs> he's just going to bury it deep until next week. Um, all right. Well, thank you again, everybody, for showing up this week. For podcast listeners, uh, we're also going to do a little something different. Going forward, uh, I'm still going to edit this down into just basically the legislative rundown for people so you can get that quick need-to-know information right out of the gate, your commutes to work, whatever it may be, short and sweet, what is happening right now that you can get involved in. That is still going to be an episode. But moving forward, we are going to have these full episodes on the podcast for everybody to tune into. We know that maybe not everybody has the opportunity to be here live, and maybe not everybody has the opportunity to sit down and commit their eyeballs to a replay. But hopefully you can pop in some earbuds and check us out over on SoundCloud or wherever you tune into your podcast. So for podcast listeners, uh, if you're listening to just the rundown right now, know that you can find the full episodes on Twitter, on Facebook, on YouTube, and going forward, you'll be able to listen to the full things here as well on SoundCloud. So thank you guys. Uh, one last time. Any final thoughts for anybody here? Uh, any any sound offs? No, Go no. Out. We're Have good. an excellent weekend, everyone. Thank you for tuning in. Awesome. Yeah. Yep, thank okay, you. For well, if you have not done so already, please come to casa.org and join officially. Every number counts for what we have as membership. It gives us a stronger voice. Uh, be sure, like you said, to put your testimonial in. Um, if you're not part of your state group, please join your Facebook state group if you do the Facebook thing. I know some people are. Um, <laughs> and um, yeah, <laughs> I, I don't have a choice. Um, but we have state Facebook groups and uh, follow us on Twitter and subscribe and everything for YouTube. And we have an official page on Facebook as well. And please donate if you if you have the ability to. That would be greatly, greatly, greatly appreciated. But otherwise, have a great week. Awesome. Well, Kristen just ran through all the cool CASA stuff. Uh, and that's... That's it for us. We are out of here, everybody. Thank you guys one last time. I hope you all have a safe, uh, fun, enjoyable, relaxing, whatever you have planned weekend. We will catch you next week, same time, same place, right here, 4.30 p.m. Eastern, 1.30 over on the West Coast. If you're anywhere else on this round earth, you're going to have to do that math for yourself. That's going to do it for us this week, everybody. Thank you, guys. We'll catch you next time. <laughs>